Show me the one safety deemed such destruction. You must reunite it with its own kind. Where? This you must determine. The songs of eons past tell of battles between Mandalore the Great and an order of sorcerers called Jedi. You expect me to search the galaxy and deliver this creature to a race of enemy sorcerers? This is the way. It's like the bane of my existence as a video producer because I'll include music that we have a license for and we'll still get copyright strikes against this on YouTube because it's a bot doing it. You know, Facebook's mm, yeah. the same way. Oh. Well, Blizzard, for their big annual convention, they BlizzCon, they had Metallica as the guest musicians. And Metallica was performing live streaming on Twitch. And the Twitch bot, the DMCA Twitch bot was like, this is Metallica music. Metallica music is is copyright. And it overplayed the feed. It interrupted the feed and overplayed elevator music over Metallica. <laughs> it's hilarious because <laughs> Metallica is the one that got that whole ball rolling back with Napster, if you remember. That's wow. hysterical. And to add to the irony, they were playing the song for whom the bell tolls. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it tolls for me, Metallica. Welcome back to GC8. I'm Eric. And I'm Johanna. And I'm Rosie. And this week we're going to do season two of The Mandalorian. Let's jump right into this. Start talking about how this opened up. Chapter nine, The Marshal. So I guess Tatooine must be the center of the universe because everybody keeps going there for everything all the time. Originally, I thought it was this backwoods planet, slightly more obscure than Dagobah. But now it looks like just everything having to do with the galaxy, all roads, all space pathways lead back to Tatooine. Yeah, I remember having that feeling in episode one where I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Like, all of this is going to start on Tatooine, like this backwards planet. And then suddenly it is the center of the Star Wars universe. Is there some rule that every single desert planet has to have a sandworm? Like, there's some <laughs> kind of sandworm thing. It could even be the little desert dimension you get sent to in Beetlejuice. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> that, that's what I was thinking too. It reminded me of Beetlejuice. But it's so Dune. It's so Dune. Like there's going to be a Spice Miser at some point. Spice Miser Castle. You know that. Wait until we get to the book of Boba Fett, which is going to be the next big series they're doing. I guarantee you, we're going to get sandworms aplenty. We're going to get like spice dreams. We're going to get. We're going to get Dune. Like how close can we get to Dune without getting sued? Right. <laughs> Okay, so back to this. Who else was like shouted out loud at the screen? That's Boba Fett's armor when we saw it. I think I remember just shouting, oh shit, oh shit, man, you know, something to that effect. No, no comprehensive, you know, English language thoughts. <laughs> and then the other thing I said was like, wait a minute, is that dragon they got to fight? Is that like the same thing that, Obi-Wan like imitates to scare off the sand people when they first attack Luke in A New Hope? I don't think so. I mean, I, I it seemed like in that, you know, in that moment, Obi-Wan is just doing the classic, you know, try to be bigger and louder than the thing you're scaring away. Classic tactic for fighting off black bears, for instance. I don't know. I want, I want <laughs> our fans to write in because I contend, and it's been years since I've seen uh, Star Wars. I contend that he said something about, like, I imitated their natural enemy, the something dragon. Am I, for, am I misremembering that somehow? We'll see. Any other thoughts on Chapter 9 before we keep going? Well, I think we definitely have to talk about the Tusken Raiders slash Sand People and, you know, how... This season, again, is attempting to right past wrongs in terms of the portrayal of indig indigenous people in the Star Wars universe. 
this episode did such a great job of showing that these people have a complex culture and language that, as Amando says, they're brutal, but so is the Dune Sea, really changing people's perception and also inviting people to reflect on how they felt about the Sand People in the original trilogy. You know, we just accept that this was an okay portrayal of a group of people in the originals. And now we're seeing like, oh, wow. Yeah, definitely. I should have asked more questions. <laughs> <laughs> My only fear is that they're eventually going to explain away everything. Like, I want some mystery left, just like I wanted Man Mando's helmet to stay on. Probably my biggest beef about the entire Star Wars canon, which is why I subscribe to my own head canon, where certain things don't exist, like most of Phantom Menace, the holiday special, and the Ewoks <laughs> battle for Endor. You know, that stuff doesn't exist in my head canon. Like, I have my own version of Star Wars, and that's why... I'll lose geek points on a bunch of things, you know, when we talk about this, where I don't know the name of a certain thing. We'll get more into that, at my headcanon, as we go on in season two of Mandalorian here. Well, I will probably far out lose the geek, the geek points here. So it's okay. I will, I, will, I will make sure that you look much smarter than me because I guarantee you, you are. So it's okay. I forget where I was going with this, but, oh, yeah, them over-explaining the Force midichlorians like they do not exist in my version of star wars it's the mystical force that surrounds us penetrates us and binds the galaxy together it's not mitochondrial dna it's just not yeah, <laughs> yeah although it's kind of essential to the plot of this particular season of no no it's not i will tell you how i get around that in my head canon but all right <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that i like about mandalorian in general is the fact that they unveiled one episode at a time, you'd have to wait until Friday to tune in to watch the next episode, which is, I know, it sounds silly to be what? excited how, about something like that. How, like, 2018? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, what I remember about this first episode after waiting most of a year for the new season to be unveiled and the fact that it was while we were in quarantine, just it was something that I was so excited for. And I have to give them credit. They did not disappoint. Even with all of the hype going into this new season, the first episode really starts off with a bang. The crate Dragon is impressive the way it's been rendered. The return of Boba Fett at the end of this episode Timothy Oliphant is charming from start to finish and like perfect as the sheriff in a small town. While we were talking, I looked this up on, on the internet and there is a quote from Star Wars. Luke Skywalker, what made the sand people leave? Obi-Wan Kenobi, I imitated the hunting cry of a crate dragon. Their imaginations did the rest and they took to their heels. That's not the line. That That is not actually what he says i i i'm gonna i'm gonna call bullshit on this um so it could be you know lucas screwed around with these things so many times that okay you're gonna call bullshit on that we'll have to keep we'll have to keep looking into this <laughs> don't make me get out my deck of uh star wars trivial pursuit playing cards i will <laughs> i will find the trivia <laughs> this will get solved by viewer email or listener email. Okay. Okay. I didn't realize that that was actually Boba Fett's armor. So thank you for clearing that up for me. This is one of the things that worries me about them over explaining stuff. The reason Boba Fett was such a fan favorite character is there was so little known about him. Mm -hmm. He first appears in Empire Strikes Back as one of the bounty hunters sent after Solo. And he doesn't have a lot of lines in the original trilogy. Me, like I think a lot of people, it's been a long time since I saw Return of the Jedi, but I thought he died. And as of right now, in this point in the series, we think he's still dead. I'm looking to figure out what exactly happened there. And I'm wondering if maybe they'll tell us in Book of Boba Fett. I think Death 
by Sarlacc Pit, though, is not a clean, clear-cut death. Like, sure, you know, the Sarlacc burps after Boba Fett falls in, but there's no indication that there is absolutely no way out of that pit if you are, you know, for example, wearing a jetpack. So, well, there is that. (laughs) And then there's there's the old uh, saw that. You know, he climbed out. Well, he's a clone. You know? <laughs> yeah, oh. So there's no saying that that's the same Boba Fett. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see. They'll. I'm sure they'll have to handle this. One last thing about this episode, the opening scene with the graffiti all over the city. What an awesome set. What an awesome opening. And this is kind of where where I love that, you know, the Star Wars universe is going, you know, trying to imagine like, okay, what would a wrestling match look like in the Star Wars universe? You know, what would what would a, you know, a broken down city in kind of a noir universe look like in Star Wars? I thought it was extremely well done. And the lighting in that scene with how dark it was. I mean, one of the things that has been really great about this series is technically how excellent some of the filming has been. And I did this time around dive into some of the special features and read a little bit more about that they used VR cameras to film a lot of the Mandalorian. And instead of using a green screen in the background, they have actual video playing behind them. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they haven't done this before, but I think they had to wait for video quality to become so crystal clear that it looks real in the background. Well, this is the future, right? It's estimated that green screens are going to be replaced by this technology, which is the rear projection 360 video screens rather than having them act in front of a green screen. So now they can actually see what they're interacting with. Whereas with green screens, you had to sort of pretend, you know, mm-hmm. um, which makes it much easier on the actors. Yeah, that's part of it. And the other cool thing is that then the stuff in the foreground can actually be real. I mean, just thinking of the prequel trilogy, for instance, which used a lot of green screens to extend the set. A lot of it looked fake, as opposed to making sure the stuff that you could focus in on was like, a real piece of a speeder bike <laughs> that you could actually see. Like, and you, it looks like a real speeder bike. And then the rest of it is also more real. Anyway, one of the things that the special features talked about is how this new technology allowed them to shoot in lower light and do some really interesting things with darker lighting, like in the opening scene, which I love, and I love how it sets Mando up as this neutral, neutral character. You know, leaving the guy to get eaten by wild dogs is awesome. (laughs) One of the problems with digital video is that everything is so brightly lit. Remember, I think we talked a little bit about this in the early days of CGI when we were talking about Alien 3. Our listeners can't see us unless I end up posting some video of this, but I have a green screen behind me. And one of the problems is I have to have that green screen really well lit. So I have a light on each side of me and a light in front of me and a light overhead. And uh, it's just the way you you create the green screen effect. So the downside to that is everything is overlit. So it's really hard to get a good noir look. Okay, we've talked a lot about Chapter 9 and we got <laughs> a bunch more to go. Seven more episodes to go here. So let's jump into Chapter 10. This episode just had so many things that I love. A mother and her eggs. Now, now the mother is, is an amphibian alien type of creature, and she has to get her eggs to a different planet because her husband has established a new home on a planet where they can live and sustain. And so, you know, Mando is tasked with this. They don't speak each other's language. So that makes for an interesting dialogue for for the episode in itself until mama is smarter than we all thought. And she finds a droid and reprograms it and uses it as an interpreter for her. So she can finally communicate with them. And she's like, look, dude, this needs to be done. I'm the last of my species. We have to go here. And they go through so much crap just to get there. And meanwhile, and this is the thing that kind of freaked me out was the child was eating her eggs. He kept dipping into her thing and eating her eggs. And I'm like, wait, this, this is the last of her species. And, and he's just telling them, no, like if I was, and I'm, and I'm sitting here having a, if I was his mom kind of moment, I was just like, if I was his mom, he'd be going into his room, he'd be in timeout. 
<laughs> no video games, like, you know. <laughs> this is the episode where I finally realized what Baby Yoda reminded me of. Because the whole time I'm like, Baby Yoda reminds me of something, and it's my cat. <laughs> no longer with me, but I can't tell you how many times I said, not for kitties, or what part of not for kitties don't you understand? <laughs> and it just gave me that look, that look that baby Yoda gives him like, huh? and then goes back to doing exactly what I told her not to do. <laughs> well, and it's funny how baby Yoda sort of like straddles that like child pet line, you know, sometimes and this was definitely, I mean, not to say that I haven't told Finn like, what did you just put in your mouth? Like, oh, I know. You know. That moment as a parent when you're like, oh my God, what did they just eat? <laughs> yeah, and you're doing the scoop. You're doing yeah. the scoop with your finger in their mouth. Like, come on, get it out of there. Get it out of there. Get it out of your mouth. You're not supposed to eat that. Spit yeah. it out. Yeah. Oh, that's man. The worst. But like every time, every time Baby Yoda ate one, I just felt it like, like my whole body just went, oh, no. Uh, I know. I just cringe. It's like, there goes another one of their species. Like, no, <laughs> stop it. You know, it's just, just removed him from the situation. And then at the end, he ate one more. He, like, yeah, was... one. It's like, where does he put him? And I just, I really wanted the Mandalorian to have one of those moments where he's like, open your jacket. <laughs> Let me see what's in there. Open it up. Okay, I'm done playing these games with you. Because <laughs> I could just see, like, all of these things that he's been eating, you know, throughout season one, just, like, you know, jumping out, like, oh, wow. And then, you know, there's, like, another one of the eggs that drops out. It's like, like, rolls out. Yeah, totally. It would have been kind of a funny scene, maybe kind of not, but I really would have liked to see something like that happen. Not content to just eat her eggs. Mm -hmm. When they're gathering up from the pool, from the heated pool, Baby Yoda wanders off and decides to start looking at eating what turns out to be the ice spider's eggs. That whole sequence, by the way, we talked about Baby Yoda being like animatronic, but that to me looked like a CGI sequence when he's off on his own looking at all the, the ice eggs. Yeah. Well, probably because the ice eggs may not have been real either. Um, love the homage to aliens, by the way. Like, the whole sea of eggs. I was like, ah, oh, yes! <laughs> oh, man. As soon as I as soon as soon I saw that, uh, that and, and him wander off like that, you know, we all know, as moms, we all know, when a little kid wanders off, mm, 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 that is trouble. <laughs> that ice spider was intense. Like, I mean, all the ice oh. fighters. Like, I, I I, don't know if any of you have seen Lost in Space, the new one starring Love of My Life, Gary Oldman, as as <laughs> the evil Dr. Smith. But um, it's, I mean, space spiders are still the most terrifying. I mean, like, creepier than the alien, like, less deadly, but all ice spiders, all, all space spiders are, no. I know, I know. I was like, what, what? Let me see what I wrote down. This is what I called them because I didn't know I didn't know what they were. I said winter cave spiders. I was like, "What is these winter cave spiders?" That's what I was calling them. I was like, Ugh. I, mean, I hate spiders. Okay, first of all, I hate spiders. Second of all, I hate spiders. Third of all, I hate spiders. And so this ultimately creeped me out, and I had a verbal, a verbal. Oh no! As soon as I saw that, it was it was actually one of my more favorite episodes out of the series. So, well, yeah. as creepy as those cave spiders were, I don't know if anyone watches the end credits of these things where they have the concept art for this mm -hmm. stuff. It's like, oh yes, it, I don't know if it's Ralph McQuarrie who always used to do all the Star Wars concept art, or if it's another artist, probably another artist at this point. But the concept art for the ice spiders is even creepier. Like, they really didn't achieve the amount of creep that the concept art had, because the <laughs> concept art, oh my God, is super creepy. Yeah, the yeah, spiders had more eyes. And they were red. They were, like, bright red, you know? Yeah, Disney probably was like, okay, guys, let's let's pull back a little bit. And they had <laughs> we're a Disney. Lot of... We have to rein that in. We're Disney, okay? <laughs> um, 
So my only nitpick about this episode is that when Mando's originally being chased, the way he ends up in this ice cave is he's being chased by um, New Republic ships and X-Wings. And like he he goes into this, he flies into this cave. Like, how does he know there's an exit on the other side of the cave? Like he, he's just deliberately crashing into a cave, you know? <laughs> like that does not seem too sound to me like if he's gonna crash fine crash in an open area you know but crashing in a cave like it just doesn't it doesn't work for me and then we find out it's not really a cave it's a nest for winter cave spiders (laughs) what i heard was that they were trying to set this snow planet apart from hoth and part of what they were doing with this is that you know, instead of it being a snow planet, it's like a glacier ice planet. So it's possible that there was no like stable ground for him to land on, you know, that it might have it might have all been kind of like, you know, a thin layer of ice that he was going to inevitably fall through. But I, I thought they did a good job of making the planet different from Hoth. You know, this one felt more hostile. <laughs> yeah. The spiders did it for me. Yeah, the terrain of Hoth reminds me of a tundra. And this seemed much more cavernous and mountainous, like not a flat tundra-like area. I mean, there was a cave where the wampa happened, you know, but it, you know, it it definitely did seem different. Okay, that's chapter 10. Let's talk about chapter 11, The Heiress. He ends up at like a seaport on what looks like to be a water world. He he's on a quest to find other Mandalorians. And well, first of all, the ship that he books passage on, they betray him and they knock Baby Yoda's like hover carriage over top of this monster and Baby Yoda quickly like closes his cover, which does that, did that remind me, did that happen in Lone Wolf and Cub? Because I think it did. I think there was some scene where Daigoro like closed up the carriage. Like I was trying to remember that too. I mean, Daigoro definitely hit buttons and activated stuff in the cart like Baby Yoda does. Yeah. So then he gets, he gets thrown into this pool on the ship with a cage over it and the Mandalorian gets thrown in there too with this monster. I guess their goal is to steal this great Beskar armor. Then he gets saved by WWE wrestler, Sasha Banks, Starbuck. Yes. (laughs) And the plot device terrorist from quantum of solace. So suddenly these three show up. If you remember Quantum of Solace, the the plot device terrorist in that, I don't remember who what his name is, the actor's name, um, and uh, um, Katie Sackoff. Katie Sackoff. How awesome is it that you know she was doing the voice of Bo-Katan for you know almost ten years at you know in Clone Wars. Well, I remember reading an interview with her when J.J. Abrams was coming out with The Force Awakens, and she was hoping to try to get score a role in that. She said, I would play a rock in the Star Wars universe. (laughs) (laughs) But she grew up and her heroes, she basically loved Wonder Woman and Star Wars. And um, yeah, does that sound familiar, Rosie? Okay, (laughs) okay. Yes, absolutely. She didn't get to play Wonder Woman, and, and she said... Strangely, her she didn't want to be Princess Leia. She wanted to be Han Solo. That was like what she really... So I think she kind of achieved her goal here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. She gets to play an anti-hero in Star Wars. The only other thing I want to say about this particular episode is the quote, they couldn't hit the side of a bantha. Like somebody says that quote in this, which is again, more proof that Tatooine is the center of the universe. <laughs> Because I don't know any place else that has banthas. For me, the only note I have on this episode is um, cable knit sweaters. <laughs> the, the, the Akbar's wearing wearing the sweaters. Um, Mon Calamari, sorry, um, Akbar's shorthand. But um, 
that you know it's a whole fishing town and they're dressed like like fishermen from earth it was just you know i imagined somebody in the development room saying okay we want to establish this as a fishing village how do we do that <laughs> and then so it was like we'll just put them all in sweaters and, and the overalls and everything and they were like isn't that going to be weird like wouldn't they be wearing something different in the star wars universe nope <laughs> <laughs> but it still kind of reminds me of Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, because they did have the piratey characters and he sunk his ship in the first scene. Yeah. When he went to land, he didn't land very well because, yeah, his <laughs> ship was already like a hot mess. It was like, uh, splash. And, you know, <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I would not at all be shocked if they they like went to do this episode and they're like, Hey, why don't we just go over to the Pirates of the Caribbean studio, borrow all their costumes, borrow all their stuff. Yes. Oh, here's a bunch of cable knit sweaters. Like, you know. <laughs> yep. And then when they rehab his ship, it's so obvious that it came from that planet because it has like the fishing net, like holding everything <laughs> together. And <laughs> when I saw that, I was, I, I thought that was hilarious. And I was like, wow, wow. And he, he, I think he really loved the decor. I lied. I had something other than cable knit sweaters written for this episode and it was children of the watch. And I think when we had, had our chat last week and Eric, you were, you know, oh, I can't believe they, he took off his helmet. Like, it's, you know, how dare they? You know, and I said, oh, just wait. One of the things I like about this season is this gradual arc about how firmly people attach to their beliefs ends justify the means kind of dilemmas, but then also, I guess, religious belief in the Star Wars universe, which, you know, is kind of interesting. Belief in the Force is considered a religion, you know, an outdated religion, almost like paganism or something like that. And so then seeing seeing a version of this, you know, suddenly halfway through the second season that indicates Mando actually might be a religious extremist version of his creed and not the only version of that creed. I thought it was an interesting thing to introduce into this season. And I'm curious, Eric, to hear your thoughts. I have come to some peace with the idea that that there are different interpretations of the Mandalorian creed and that our Mandalorian has a more strict one. My problem with the whole thing has less to do with the religious aspect or dogma than it does with, as a viewer, I find it's more interesting to keep some things a mystery. And that's why I was like backing the whole idea of not having him ever remove his helmet. All right, let's move on to chapter 12, The Siege. This is where Mando rejoins some old allies for a new mission. This episode was directed by Carl Weathers, by the way. Are we allowed to start spoiling the new trilogy and, and Rise of Skywalker and things? Because it's kind of hard to talk about Just this episode. Just do it. All right. This is our first hint of the possible Snoke slash Palpatine clones in, in this episode. You get barely a glimpse of them in their test tubes. This second season of Mandalorian came out after Rise of Skywalker. So at this point, we're supposed to start connecting the dots about what's going on in this part of the universe, connecting between Jedi and, and that later trilogy. There's a really hilarious line about there not being any guardrails in, in this, like, you know, this base for the Empire and that there's, like, lava down at the bottom, but somehow there's still no guardrails. It's the same architecture that you find in the Death Star with, you know, you take one false step and you just plummet to your death. And right. I, I love that. <laughs> Here's my theory on that. My theory is that the, the Empire is all about order. You know, they're all about bringing order to the galaxy, a new order, and you should never step out of line. And so there's <laughs> no need for guardrails because if you fall to your death, it's because you were stepping where you shouldn't have been to begin with. Mm, yes, this is, you know, how you enforce rigid discipline. <laughs> no yeah, guardrails. No right, no guardrails. <laughs> Which, by the way, guardrails are such an American thing. If you... I've traveled throughout Europe and you go to some of these places where there's ancient structures or monasteries or whatever, and there is nothing keeping you from falling off. <laughs> 
I guess it's just a less litigious society where it's like, well, you, you done fucked you up. <laughs> you done it fucked is up. Say <laughs> um, la vie is what you meant to say. Yeah. Yeah. I always focus on the strangest things. And this time I was like, how in the world are they going to repair his ship this time? <laughs> I mean, it was blown to pieces. There were holes in it. And they fixed it somehow. But I was just like, how are they going to do this? You know, it, it, it's hard to kind of decide time frames in the Mandalorian sometimes. And this is one of those things because it seems to me like it would have taken months to repair all the damage to his ship. But I, I could have been completely wrong. On the subject of time frames, this is my big gripe about this episode. So at the beginning, we find out that they're going to invade this Imperial base that still has a skeleton crew and they establish that it's on the other side of the planet. Okay. Now they all invade this base. And then at some point Mando leaves and flies back with his, just his jet pack. Right. And then the rest of them in the, the very next scene, they're themselves leaving and they have a little firefight and then they, they escape. And in one of the greatest chase scenes in all of the Mandalorian, they're escaping and they're being chased by TIE fighters. But the problem is he eventually comes and saves them. He comes to the rescue. How was he able to fly all the way to the other side of the planet with the jetpack and pick up baby Yoda and get his ship and then fly all the way back in the nick of time to save them where they're still fleeing the base being chased by TIE fighters? That does not make sense there's just not enough time for that to have happened yeah i wonder whether other side of the planet is meant as a figure of speech because you get the sense that they're close enough to still be a problem like they're far enough away to not be an immediate problem but close enough where you know carl weathers is like we need to get rid of these people they're gonna be trouble for us in the future i'm also getting the sense that there are a lot of planets in the star wars universe that are not as big as earth there are a lot of small planets which I don't know the science behind that. Navarro seems to be another one of these small planets, like Pluto-sized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. I was even thinking Mercury-sized, you know, just go yeah. around the corner and come right back. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mercury, even with the, by jetpack, is still going to be pretty, pretty big distance. Yeah. But anyway... The other thing I noticed in this episode that I'm surprised I had never noticed before is like every blaster that everyone carries has a scope on top mm -hmm. and nobody ever uses the scope. Like everybody's got one of these, you know, if you remember, even Han Solo had a scope on top of his, his blaster. Nobody ever uses the scope. They're just like reaching out, shooting everywhere. <laughs> weird. Just weird. Why have a scope if you're not going to use it? Well, Aren't a lot of these characters also like very, you know, cowboy shoot first, shoot later, ask and then ask questions, you know, like mm -hmm. we don't have any anal retentive people in the Star Wars universe other than C-3PO. Like he's maybe the only one. He would be the one using the scope. Everybody else is like, I got this. <laughs> I don't understand why they even put scopes on these things, especially for st like stormtroopers of all people could use scopes. Like, <laughs> you know, no doubt. But they never do. I think it's time to hit the snack bar. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's, Let's all go, go to the, the lobby. lobby. <laughs> Thanks for, for um, making sure I don't need to play that now. Okay. <laughs> so I don't often give product placement on this. We don't get paid for it. We don't have any advertising sponsors or anything like that. But Star Wars was originally pitched by Lucas with the promise that it may not make its money back on ticket sales, but he would definitely be able to make his money back on toy sales. Star Wars itself is complete. I mentioned how I used to have the Star Wars bed sheets. The whole series has always been about product placement. So I'm going to I'm going to actually give some product placement on this one. Merchandising, merchandising. <laughs> yeah. As yogurt would say. Yeah. Oh, God, another. That, nope, headcanon. That does not exist. <laughs> um, okay. So, as you know from past 
episodes of food pairings, I am a fan of tea. And I've recommended drinking tea on a couple of previous episodes. And my girlfriend and I ordered some tea from the Republic of Tea Company, and they sent a free tea bag with it of Mandalorian tea. Apparently, they have the license for the Mandalorian tea. It's a black tea. And so I didn't immediately drink this and had it sitting around for a little while, which is never a good idea with tea. And it was not in an airtight container or anything. But when I finally had it, oh my God, it was one of the best black teas I've ever had in bagged form. So I'm going to say that the perfect pairing for watching The Mandalorian is the official Mandalorian tea that Republic of Tea makes. And like I said, not getting paid to say that or anything like that. It's excellent black tea. And hey, you know, it's got the Mandalorian branding already on it. Well, I'm so glad that that was the product placement you chose. I was so afraid you were going to say the blue macarons from William Sonoma. Which I, you know, another blatant, blatant ripoff, you know, attempt to to make some cash off Mandalorian. But this tea sounds great. It is. And I would not endorse eating anything that Baby Yoda eats. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Okay, back to the show. Next up, Chapter 13, The Jedi. In this episode, Mandalorian meets a Jedi. He also is tasked by the leader of this town that he is in to kill said Jedi. But he ends up teaming up with her in order to help the child and free the people of that town. Because the leader was, she was evil. And and actually that led to a fantastic fight scene between the leader and um, the Jedi there who did eventually say that she would not be able to teach the child because the child was so bonded with the Mandalorian. Um, but she did tell him where, where to go um, in order to find the correct Jedi to teach the child. But that being said, gosh, there were some great fight scenes in that. There were some great fight scenes in that show. Oh my gosh, I, I loved every minute of it. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Rosie. One of the things I loved about this episode is the fight scene between Ahsoka Tano and Morgan Elspa, the, you know, little mini warlord of, of this town, and how Michael Bean and Mando are just, like, standing outside, clearly having the sidekick version of that fight. And thinking back to how many action movies where, like, the men are having the real fight, and then, like, oh, the women get to have their own side fight that is somehow less important, and but, you know, happening just to prove that they can fight. You know, it right. was so great to see that reversed in this episode. Also, to see, like, the men's version of this side fight, hilarious. Like, Michael Bean being like, I don't think this is worth dying for. You know, like, you know, just having a very different kind of dialogue. Yeah, he's great. basically trying to talk talk the Mandalorian out of not killing him. <laughs> that was their fight scene, kind of. <laughs> the opening scene in this episode is a direct homage to the bamboo forest fights of Lone Wolf and Cub. I swear to God it is. I don't know that for a fact, but I know that just watching it. Very clearly uh, a reference to that. And, you know, kind of interesting, this idea of the planet's resources being exploited by this business person and that the only thing left is this charred and decimated forest, you know, full of smog is really, you know, pretty, pretty graphic uh, environmentalist message there. So props to Disney. Yeah. And we get opposing it. I don't watch Clone Wars or haven't yet. So it's good to finally see who Jedi Mononoke is. <laughs> like, that's what I call her up until now, because I didn't know who Ahsoka was. I just saw her and I saw rough, like, it's culturally impossible to avoid spoilers. But when I finally saw her, I was like, oh, my God, Rosario Dawson. <laughs> now, all I got to say is Gina Carano, Ming-Na Wen, Katie Sackhoff, Sasha Banks, now Rosario Dawson. I just need like one Scarlet and one Charlize, and that would be a royal straight flush of all the hot, <laughs> badass babes I want to bang. <laughs> no awesome. filter there, Eric. The filter is <laughs> totally gone. That's right. That's I right. Mean, 
Rosario Dawson. Well, like remember, Amy Schumer called her the most uh, the most fuckable actress ever. You know, so <laughs> so. But yeah, she was she was awesome in this. Seeing Ahsoka out there, it kind of reminded me of Michonne from The Walking Dead because she was a loner. She spent pretty much years out in the woods by herself, and she had two samurai swords. And she's a complete badass character on the show that that has been like. A veteran that has lasted. Soko just took me back to Michonne on The Walking Dead. It's really exciting to see more characters like her. Speaking of Jedis, this is where I finally started to suspect that what they wanted Baby Yoda for was to harvest midichlorians, which they never actually say, although at some point they say his M count is, you know, off the charts and stuff like that. This is my whole problem with that, which is, I remember having a talk with my friend Guy years ago about when the midichlorians first happened. The pro- whole problem with this is that there could be Jedi juice. All you'd need to do is extract someone's blood and shoot up with it, which meant there could be like eff- effectively Jedi pushers selling Jedi juice that you could you know, shoot up with and become a Jedi. Like there's no years of training. There's none of that. You just boom inject yourself with some Jedi juice. And now the problem with this is that it would, it's not very lucrative as a drug dealer because as soon as the customer shoots up, they can be like, I do not owe you money. You know, (laughs) (laughs) give me all your Jedi juice. And, and they're like, uh, here's all my Jedi juice. See, you're going to force me to quote the prequel trilogies. This is a terrible thing, Eric, but I don't think it's something that anybody could just pick up, you know, and to quote, then Chancellor Palpatine, the dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities some could might consider unnatural. So I don't think you could, you know, shoot someone up with midichlorians unless you were a super powerful Sith who had the ability to, you know, use cloning technology or harvest that blood and synthesize it for that purpose. So it's not something that like your local Jamba Juice in space is going to, you know, give you your your midichlorian smoothie. It's like only Sith Lords are going to have the ability to use this technology, which we, I mean, we see in the previous episode, you know, the cloning chambers and things, things like that. But yeah. Oh man, I feel dirty. You made, you made me quote, <laughs> you made me quote <laughs> episode three. Oh. <laughs> well, we'll see. I think we're another cartoon series away from getting like, Jedi juice injections. You wait and see. All right. Uh, Let's move on. Chapter 14, The Tragedy, directed by Robert Rodriguez. One piece I wanted to note for our fans is this amazing shot where Boba Fett looks direct to camera, or at least we feel like he's looking direct to camera. He's got the helmet on. But it's right after he's, you know, shot down one of the spaceships and it's collided with another one and they both crashed into the mountain. And he turns to look at the camera and it's like, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> that's, that's right. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, he was like, yep, that's right. Boba Fett's back. I'm in the house. <laughs> and let the fun begin. <laughs> the Siege, which was directed by Carl Weathers, I thought had the best vehicle chase. This one, the Robert Rodriguez one, probably not surprisingly, has the best ground combat scene. Practically the whole thing is an extended combat scene. Yeah, and Boba Fett using the weapon of the sand people, the, you know, the golf club with the spear at the end of it was, I mean, really epic. Just, you know, a a weapon that we don't really get to see used in action in other places, and it is devastating. This is the episode where Grogu realizes his powers. At the top of the mountain, he's getting the Jedi upload while chaos is, is happening all around him. And he's completely inaccessible with this force field around him while he's basically realizing his powers and, and inevitably calling the Jedi that is meant to train him later in the season. I love scenes like that because you have one member of the team that's indisposed. It cannot help. So it's up to the rest of the team to like fight off the evil guys, you know, and make everything right with their situation. That's always a thrilling type of scene for me to watch you know the anticipation alone i'm like oh god oh god i'm at the end of my seat like come on so you know for him to finally get his upload done and they can like move on it is great and also i can't forget to mention that the real tragedy here is the poor mandalorian finally lost his ship it was done 
Filing. That's not the tragedy. The tragedy is Baby Yoda gets kidnapped. Well, I wasn't done. <laughs> I wasn't done. It was like it was like it was kind. It was like you know, it was a trifecta. Like you know, Mando lost his ship. He lost the baby, and now he has to travel with other people. You know, and he's kind of a loner. So <laughs> that's what I was thinking. You know. <laughs> okay, you're right. That is the real tragedy. Other yeah. people. <laughs> other people. He has to deal with other people now. Yeah, so. but those other people are awesome. They are, they are awesome. I, I think that if Mando was going to surround himself with other people, even though he didn't want to be around them, it would have to be them. So one of the things I like about this season in general is the nonstop action in these last four episodes. And oh my gosh, you, yes. this is now the third time I've watched through this season. And, you know, I thought, okay, I'm just going to like refresh it. I've already seen it twice. And then I was looking through the episodes. I'm like, oh no, I have to watch all of that episode. Oh no, I have to watch all of the tragedy. I also have to watch all of the believer and I have to watch the last episode. And so then I ended up just watching the whole thing yesterday. Just binged watched it straight from like 11 a.m. until bedtime. It was great. That's awesome. <laughs> But yeah, I love the, you know, adrenaline at the end of this episode of Baby Yoda's just been kidnapped, leading us into the next one. Definitely feeling some vibes reminiscent of Baby Card at the River Styx with that, you know, how that kidnapping is a real jarring, exciting moment. Cool. Oh, wait. Okay. One last thing. Oh, no. Never mind. Sorry. That's the next episode. Next okay. episode. Yeah. So. My bad. My bad. I, have a, I got really excited about something, but it's it's the, it happens in the next episode. So why don't you just go ahead and do the next chapter? Okay. So this episode is a train robbery episode. It's called The Believer. It's called The Believer. We get our friend Bill Burr back. He's coming to help Mando get some secret intel from an Imperial base that is off the map. It's, you know, mostly used as a mining colony. So then, of course, we have a train robbery sequence where, in this case, the train is a heavily armored vehicle that is hauling nitro, for for lack of, of a, you know, better comparison. And they get ambushed by bandits who are trying to steal or explode this valuable substance. There are definite echoes of the Iraq War, and conflict in the Middle East in this episode. They drive through kind of a peasant town on their way, and there is definitely a sense of American soldiers putting themselves in danger of tripping bombs on the roadside. So there's there's some political overtones to this. And the thing I was really excited about at the end of this was the return of the sonic bombs that Boba Fett has in Slave One which you see in episode two is the only redeeming thing about all of episode two is the battle scene between Obi-Wan and Jango Fett with the sonic bombs being released. And you just get this like seeing in the theater, this like quiet moment and then boom and destruction. And that comes back in this episode. And I was so stoked. We can't always talk about every film that influences another film. So we there's always things that get left out. If I were to do one specifically about this episode, I would definitely talk about the 1977 film Sorcerer, which was uh, directed by William Friedkin and starred Roy Scheider. It basically is a remake of The Wages of Fear, and it involves a truck that is filled with nitroglycerin. And... Um, <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. Maybe we'll do it in another episode. It was a failure because it was released at the same time as Star Wars, the, oh. the first Star Wars film. Um, but well, there's that. I think it's come around and they're they're giving a nod, a uh, tip of the hat to it. But anyway, if anything, this episode, what it really got me to do was go back and re-watch a bunch of Bill Burr's stand-up. Because I had forgotten how much I like this stand-up. I love in this episode where they're in like a cafeteria or whatever it is. They're trying to get out of there without being noticed because, of course, Miggs was a trooper. Well, he says to Mandalorian, all right, 
let's go fill out those TPS reports. Yes. <laughs> which, which is a shout out to office space. Office oh, yeah. space. <laughs> which I thought, whoa, that was kind of random, but <laughs> cool. Oh, it was so great. Bill Burr did a great job in this episode. In the middle of everything, he's like, you should have left me in prison. <laughs> But then he ends up being a badass hero of this situation. He, he really helped turn things around. And it was one of those off-the-cuff things that could have gone horribly wrong, but it ended up working to their advantage. So, you know, you got to love a situation where someone is put in the position to totally call out the authority on the wrong that they're doing to communities that they're forcing their soldiers to do. You don't get to see scenes like that very often. And he was like, yeah, well, sure, we fought here, but what about the people there? I love that whole episode. Star Wars traditionally has been a very black and white series. It's very much good and evil. It's very much, this is good, this is bad, black and white. Mm -hmm. And Miggs is definitely the character saying everyone draws their own lines. There is no true good and evil. That's just your way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. And it's so much better done than... Anakin in episode three saying, well, from my perspective, the Jedi are evil. I know I keep bringing up the prequel trilogies. I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. But I agree. The theme of moral relativism in this episode was very well done, especially since one of the cool things about Mandalorian is that the central character is not one of these black and white good or evil characters. Mando is a pretty neutral, neutral character. So it's it's interesting to have these questions come in of like does the star wars universe work if the empire isn't there which you know it's just kind of an interesting question even in this chapter of the star wars timeline the empire is supposed to be dormant they're supposed to be gone and yet everywhere they are clearly not gone and this episode in particular made me wonder could the star wars universe work without the Empire there. Could you imagine it where it's actually the rebels just trying to make a good democracy work? <laughs> or is is that version of Star Wars not possible? Well, like I've said, I haven't seen the Clone Wars, but my understanding on the timeline is that predates the Empire, right? So... Well, yeah, but like Palpatine is kind of like secretly in charge. I mean, all of the prequel trilogies technically predates the Empire, but it's like the empire in progress of being built. Well, now that we're talking about all that, I'm going to have to go into the latest trilogy where somehow, despite being gone, you know, you can't have the rebels be the rebels if they're like in charge. So somehow they're back, not in charge or the new order, whatever they call them. So the first order is now like, it's really just the empire all over again. Ah, Oh, don't get me started. Ah, I knew we were going to get into stuff that I didn't want to talk about. Um, <laughs> but if we do spoilers, now is the time. So if you don't want any spoilers for season two of Mandalorian and you're one of the few people that still hasn't seen it, we're going to talk about the final episode here. And Rosie's going to kick us off talking about chapter 16, The Rescue. They are on the ship with Moff Gideon. They are getting ready to rescue Groku, the child. It was so action-packed because we got a glimpse of the dark troopers before when they had abducted the child. But we get to see them in action. We also get to see, after Groku has his upload of Jedi powers, when he's in custody, he's playing with stormtroopers like chess pieces. Just knocking them all around like he had two stormtroopers in his room guarding him. And he was just like using his Jedi mind powers to like knock them into each other, knock them into the walls and, and do all of this stuff and wreaking all kinds of havoc. This was the episode that when I watched it at the end, when Groku's Jedi shows up, the one that is meant to train him, the one that Groku sent out the Jedi bat signal for, arrives. And it's Luke Skywalker. And I was just like, tears like major tears and and it's i i was already emotional enough anyway i'm usually not that emotional but i was emotional in that moment and it just brought the waterfalls and then when r2d2 comes rolling around the corner i'm like oh my god this is so amazing i love them all did they use images of the old luke skywalker footage for this 
to create some sort of animation technology. So it was actually... A lot less Uncanny Valley than Tarkin and Leia from Rogue One. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. It's that same technology, it's just improved. Yeah, they did a great job with it. So my thoughts on this one is that, once again, something that I have maintained since the very beginning, which finally gets stated out loud by one of the imps, is that the rebels were terrorists. I mean, they fit our modern definition of terrorists. Nobody ever talks about that. Like, they, you know, they blew up the Death Star. Think of all the people they killed that were just like, you know, maintenance people and stuff like that, you know. They're essentially terrorists. Also, it was kind of cool seeing Bo-Katan being the pilot that crashes into the hangar because... I don't know how many times Starbuck crashed a Viper onto the hangar of the Battlestar, but that was that was that scene all over again. I'm like, oh, yeah, there she is again, <laughs> crashing a Viper into the hangar. Yeah, it was such a thrill to see her get to kick ass again after such a long time away from Battlestar. Yeah. And again, this is another one of those instances where Star Wars breaks gender norms again because the team was mostly women. Yeah, no, it's four four total badass women. It's not a gimmick. You know, I, I recently had the unpleasant experience of re-watching Charlie Angels 2 full throttle. I will not explain <laughs> the circumstances of my captivity where that happened, but um, it's so awful because, you know, the women all get to do, you know, these stunts and there are these fight scenes it's totally ridiculous, but a main reason why it's ridiculous is they aren't treated with respect. They're, you know, it's treated as a, like, isn't it cute watching these women be action heroes? As opposed to this fight scene where, like, no, the women are just, like, going in there and doing it without waiting to pause at the camera and be like, look how awesome I look doing it. It's, you know, I don't have time for this shit. I have to go blow up these people and my gun's jammed and I'm going to fix that and use it as a golf club. And yeah, it's like, I don't have, I don't have time for lip gloss and hair flips here. I'm trying to fight. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a little detour from what you were talking, but it reminded me of one of my nitpicks. How the hell do you jam a blaster? It's an energy weapon for crying out loud. How do you jam a blaster? That's a good question. I mean, it's huge. <laughs> the other nitpick I have about this particular episode is dark troopers are droids. Wasn't the whole purpose of creating stormtroopers to get away from having droids? Okay, again, we're getting into prequel territory, but wasn't that the whole point of stormtroopers cloning them so that we don't have to have droids because we can't rely on droids? Well, but the droids were unreliable in one particular way, and these droids seem to not be unreliable as far as we could tell i mean oh they're, yeah they seem to be pretty efficient terminator like murdering machines i didn't get the sense that these were the same as the battle droids from episode one there are like 30 terminators and they're all gonna just murder 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 it, it reminded me of that last terminator movie that nobody actually saw where all the terminators come out of their little chambers at the same time it looked exactly like that oh well, it, you know, and I was going to say, nothing proves their efficiency more than when they were sucked out of the ship and then came back. <laughs> you know, I thought they were done for when that happened. They opened the latch. All the droids were sucked out of the ship. And I was like, oh, good. Awesome. They got rid of them. And then they flew back. But when Luke Skywalker freaking single-handedly killed all of them on the way back in that final crush scene... Where he, like, takes the last one, like, this is the exclamation point on the end of this freaking sentence right now. Crush, <laughs> you know, and then open. And I just, mm, gosh, that episode, I can't, I want to watch it three more times. We will make that the final exclamation point on this particular episode. I want to end it before we jump the shark. And I hope that the Mandalorian, which is going to come back for a third season, I hope they end that series when it jumps the shark since jumping the shark is actually the best point in the series and everything after that's not as good i really hope that we don't get what we get with a lot of great series where they just beat it over the head and in the last season is terrible i hope they decide to end this on a high note Mm -hmm. 
I could see them doing about one or two more seasons of this, though, because they did kind of leave the door open for some things with the footage that they had after the credits on the last episode. Yeah, well, it looks like um, Boba Fett's going to get his own spinoff series, and so is Ahsoka Tano, from Mm -hmm. what I've heard, going to get her own series. And yeah, we have to resolve who is in charge of Mandalore. Yep. Right, exactly. Exactly. This is the way. This is the way. Please subscribe, like, give us a good review on the Apple Podcast site and uh, or wherever else you might be getting this podcast from. If you want to email us, and I want you to email us about the Crate Dragon, which I swear was talked about in A New Hope, please do so at gc8podcast at gmail.com. That's letter G, letter C, number eight, podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Eric. This is Johanna. And this is Rosie. Signing off. Hold on a second. Oh, yeah, that's when Mando got the rhino egg to trade for for ship parts. The rhino egg, which the rhino ends up being a theme. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, the mud horn. Yeah, the mud horn. Thank you. I'm I love Star Wars, but I'm terrible with the terminology and who all the actors are and all of the character names. Isn't that awful? And I've been watching this since the 70s. Yeah, me too. And it's bad for our brand. So it's, I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll try to keep it to only intelligent comments. <laughs>